Well, I want to draw your attention to the book of Acts, and we're going to look at chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 11. That ought to be easy enough for us to remember. Let me read this to you. I'll read this from the English Standard Version. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria and, in, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I don't know if you ever had a favorite uh, radio commentator for, that gave the news. We don't, you know, I don't know what, who it would be for, for people today, but I know one of the big favorites of years ago, and he still is my favorite, although he's dead, and it was Paul Harvey. I loved to hear what Paul Harvey had to say. It was always interesting. It was not always bad news. A lot of times it was things that happened to people that were just as common as you or me. And, uh, but there would always be a thing in there where he would, it would be where there would be a, you know, a commercial break, and then it was page two, and he would go on with more after that. Well, that's kind of what we have here in the book of Acts. And uh, what we see is uh, page two, if you want to make the gospel according to Luke, page one, well, Acts is page two. Because really, Acts takes up where Luke leaves off. You know, we can say with a great deal of certainty that Luke, who was not an apostle, but Luke uh, was the one who wrote down this first gospel account of his. And then, after Jesus was resurrected, then he went on to go to page two, and he talked about what was, what was going on in the church. And so, this is what you have right here. And so, anyway, so I... Uh, I don't feel as well prepared as I should because I got really, really busy these last two days on something else and I couldn't help it. Funerals do not consult my uh, address book and my, my date book, so we have to do this way. So anyway, I'll try not to put you to sleep, but if I do, I will preach a long time and let you get a good rest. How's that? <laughs> All right. Well, let's look at it this way. What we see here in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, we see kind of a summary of what we're going to be looking at through the rest of it. Like you said, we say Luke wrote this, and one of the reasons that we say that is because 
whenever you read the book of Acts, every now and then you're going to see some narratives in there that the author said, we did this or we did that, and includes himself in the action. And by kind of putting two and two together and coming up with four, sometimes we find out that whoever wrote this was someone that was a traveling companion with Paul. And so you can say, all right, and that makes sense because there was no one else that would fit that description. Another thing we could say about Luke is evidently he was an, an educated man. Paul referred to him as Luke the physician. But he was also, you could tell he was an educated man simply by the way that he wrote. He did more than just go to the first grade and then drop out. He, had, uh, he was a very well-educated man, very literate. And so he puts down this careful account of what's going on. Now, let's kind of see what we have here. Number one, when you read this, think about this, is that what the, the uh, book of Acts is all about it is, a, it is the pattern, gives us the pattern of the church's activity continue, and they continue to do what Jesus had begun to do. This is what it's saying. He says, my first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So, you want to know what he did before? It is a continuation after his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. Now, this, this is the pattern, and this was the way it was and the way that Jesus carried out his ministry. If we want to know what we're supposed to be doing, we need to be looking at ourselves as carrying out the ministry that Jesus carried on here. That's what we're supposed to be doing. In other words, what we have is a, a message that we want to proclaim, and it is a message for everyone, not just the clean-cut people in society or the people that have the same background that we do. I was at one church one time, and there was an older retired preacher in the church, and he was kind of fancy, I guess, or at least he thought he was. And uh, I know one time on Sunday morning, people were gathering into the sanctuary. A couple drove up, and I mean they drove up in a pure D junker. I think the thing was probably held together with duct tape. And uh, it was just it was terrible looking. And you could tell that they probably had lived a pretty hard life. I mean, they weren't fancy. The guy needed a shave. He had gotten a job washing dishes at a local cafe. His, wa his wife wasn't anything to look at either. But, you know, they, I'll tell you what, what they looked like. You've seen pictures of these times during the, the Dust Bowl days, that type of thing. That's what these people looked like. They came in and sat down in church, and they enjoyed being there. And I was proud to say that the membership received them gladly and were glad that they came. That's the way it's supposed to be. But after they had come a few times, I know that old retired preacher said, well, he said, you know, they're really not our kind of people. I think I said something smart after that, like, well, they're my kind of people. And they were, these were just cedar choppers is what we would call them there in that part of the state. It was just, they were just poor people. And I know whenever I went by to see them once and we were talking and, and it was kind of a pleasant time of the year and they said, do you like poke salad? I said, well, I've eaten it before. She, they said, we cultivate it. Look out there on a table outside. It's the biggest poke salad leaves I've ever seen in my life. It looked like tobacco leaves. It was so big huge but that was just what they were like is the gospel for people like that you better believe it is 
because you can find sinners that eat poke salad just as much as you can find sinners that drive limousines. And that's what these folks were. I wish that everybody had been as nice as those folks were. And another thing is this, it's a message that can be told by anyone. Anyone that has experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ our Lord. You can. You don't have to be fancy to carry on the work that Jesus did. We don't have to be fancy people to do that. You know, I, you may have heard it once, some of you that lived around here in this, these parts for quite a while, you remember Coach Wagstaff there in Tyler, anybody? Okay, well, it doesn't make any difference. There one, my sister knows, <laughs> anyway. And anyway, but he also, this Coach Wagstaff was kind of a legend in his own time, but he also had a brother that was a minister and had been a longtime pastor at First Baptist Church of Madisonville. His name was Travis Wagstaff. Brother Wagstaff, in his, after he retired, I remember one time he was kind enough to come see me at my parents' house. They were living in Madisonville. And he held forth on pastoral knowledge like nobody else ever had. And he told me, he said, you know, he said, I was at one church in one town. He said, there was a guy that lived in that town. He was just kind of a crude person. He, you know, he, it's, he said, it seemed like he's always trying to spit some splinter of a toothpick out of his mouth. He's always like that. And uh, he couldn't read, you know, but he would go into town and he'd go to the coffee shop and get him a cup of coffee and sit at the table with other people. And... Uh, they would, they would talk to him and sometimes somebody would make fun of him. Because he always carried a New Testament in his pocket. And every now and then someone would say, you know, Tom, I got your Bible there. Why don't you get your Bible out and read some to us? And he said, that fellow would say, oh boys, you know I can't read this. I can't read it, but I can tell you a lot about the man that wrote it. Brother Wagstaff said that man led more people to a knowledge of Christ than anybody else in the church. You see, this message of the cross is for every Christian to share. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to have a degree in theology. All you have to do is know who Jesus is and you can introduce Him. We see here about the pattern of the church's activity. What was it? Do what Jesus started doing. Another thing is the preaching of the apostles. Whenever you read about the preaching of the apostles, you, you look at this right here, the part what we just read. Notice what it tells you not to worry about so much and what we ought to be thinking about. You know, whatever he was, he, what we read here is a time when Jesus was already resurrected from the, from the tomb, but he had, not been, he had not ascended into heaven yet. And his disciples, what were they doing? They said, well... Is now this the time that uh, you, you know you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What did Jesus tell him? That's none of your business. You know you don't need to worry about that. You know we we the return of Jesus Christ is a big part of the gospel, but it is not the gospel is not contained for us a timetable for Christ's return. All we can say about the return of Christ that we see right here is He's going to come back in the way that He left this place. That means that uh, He is going to return visibly. Uh, it's not going to be a silent return. It's going to be audibly. And uh, people are going to be able to know that He's been here. 
That's what we know about this. And it's a sad, sad thing that so many times people want to try to figure out how he's going to come back and when he's going to restore the kingdom to Israel and all of that. I don't want to get into that type of stuff. I'm just telling you, if that is what you want to discuss, you're talking about secondary at best pieces of theology. And so get back to what we need to be thinking on. Quit arguing with people over whether Jesus is coming before or after the tribulation or any of that. You know, just go on and enjoy talking about the you know, second coming of Christ. And another thing is about the resurrection of Christ. This is another part of their preaching and the uh, preaching of the gospel. The resurrection of Christ has to be emphasized. And whenever you read in here about testimonies that, that the apostles gave so many times, they included in that testimony the, uh, the idea that Jesus Christ has been raised. In other words, and Paul even said in the uh, uh, letter to the Corinthians, he said, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. The Apostle, the Apostle Paul also wrote this in the letter to, uh, to the Romans. He talks about, Paul talks about the word of faith that we proclaim. This is in Romans chapter 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that what? That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is an important piece of the whole structure of the gospel. You can't say that it really doesn't matter because it does really matter. If there is no resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, our message is nothing but a bunch of hot air. We really are not doing anything to tell anything, anybody about how you can have salvation. If there is no resurrection from the dead, what are we saved from then? You know, and uh, you can read this whenever Paul would stand before people or Peter would stand before people and try to, and try to give it a, a reason for what he did. It was simply because they would always say that, the, you know, that Jesus Christ died, but he was raised from the dead. And so we, they always emphasize this thing about the resurrection. Don't play that down. I think sometimes we talk a lot about the death of Christ, and we should. And we should never be ashamed to talk about the death of our Savior. But at the same time, don't forget the fact that his, his ministry and his work ended in a tomb, all sealed up in dark. Because what was, happened was this, was he died, but three days later, they came back and saw that the tomb was empty. He was raised from the dead. And it was not that somebody stole the body or that he just went poof and just disappeared. We could see, we know that he appeared to people. You know, and, and there are people that will say the whole idea of the resurrection really doesn't make that much difference. Well, I beg to differ. If there is no resurrection, you don't have any salvation. I, the last time I preached and touched upon this subject, just on the idea of the resurrection, uh, I mentioned a book that people might want to read. And I was surprised that somebody was actually awake at that point in the sermon and wanted to read that too. I brought three different books up here, and if you want to look at them, you can look at it. You might be able to get them. They're probably still in print. One of them is called Jesus Under Fire, and uh, it's really a good book. It's not all about the resurrection, but it's, it's, it talks about the resurrection and how you can be sure that it really did happen. Uh, 
I can't remember some of the others. There's one by Tom Wright, and it talks about in there uh, strange ideas that people have had about who Jesus is. And it's a real short little book. But there's plenty of books out there. Lee Strobel was another one. You might, it's easy to under, real easy to understand. It's easy to read too. But do that. Get into something and realize that just because we believe in Jesus being raised from the dead, it doesn't mean that we're a bunch of nitwits. It means we're looking at the facts and saying the facts say you can't explain any of this about the gospel without including the fact that Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave. Another thing in the book of Acts you encounter is problems in the church. Oh, no, isn't that sad? You know, we have this, you know, the, uh, there was a man named Ananias and his old lady, and they decided that they wanted to really get to be something special in the church. And so they sold some land and donated it to the church. The problem was this, is they donated about half of it, but they told the people in church they donated the whole thing. They're donating every penny they had. Then they found out that they didn't do that. And they died. They didn't do that anymore. But anyway... You know, so what you had in this early church, in the very early period of the church, here was a married couple that used deceit to gain praise. They wanted, they wanted glory and they weren't going to get it that way. Then there was another one. You look in chapter 6, it's, it's the next chapter. And here we see in here that there was a problem in the church. There were Jews and Gentiles all going to church together. But there was still a problem. There were some racial issues coming up. Because one of the things they did, widows were in that church were given kind of a ration. You know, they, people would support them and give them food and what, other things that they might need. The Gentile widows were not getting much of it. Most of it were going to the Jewish people or the Hebrew people of it. And... Uh, and it was causing quite a bit of a stir among them. They finally got that straightened out. But uh, here we have a problem. It's what we would call racial bias. And it would be just like here at this church, which I know you're not this way. And uh, because I was here for about a year and a half, and I know that you're not like this. But it would be just like this, saying, you know, having someone that would be an Iranian or someone that would be black or whatever. And uh, they would come in and say, oh, oh, who are you? Well, we've got a place for you to sit right outside in the foyer because we don't want you to be with us. Well, you know, that, that's not Christ-like. And uh, you don't want to give a witness like that. And they finally got that straightened out. They came up with a method of getting that done so that the widows were given what they needed because the widows really didn't have meant much of an opportunity to work. They didn't, we didn't have any equal rights amendments back then. Now, another thing is, is you have a thing with the Jerusalem Council, and this was a big blow up in the church because it had to do with Jewish ritual. The rite of circumcision was one of those things, and the Jewish people were saying, you know, you can't be a part of us if you haven't gone through this ritual. And uh, the Gentiles will say, well, yes, we can too. And so it was a real mess. They finally had to get all the leaders in the church together and get all of this hashed out. And it seemed that they did pretty much. And then two of the greatest missionaries that the church had had a real falling out with each other. 
Barnabas and Paul. They had been in a lot of places. They'd gone on mission trips together. They even had a young fellow named Timothy that they had been treating, uh, training to do their job too. And I don't know exactly what it was, but somehow or another, Timothy just kind of lost track of what he was supposed to be doing, or he got lonesome to go see Mama. I don't know what it was exactly. But he kind of cut their, his mission trip off and went home. And... Barnabas was able to deal with that, but Paul just thought, no, he isn't going to go with me on another mission trip. He was the one that, that backed out on us. And we, we don't need people like that. Well, Barnabas thought it was okay. Barnabas may have been a little more patient than the, the Apostle Paul was. And so, Barnabas and Paul had such a set to with each other, they split up and did not work together for quite some time. Let me ask you a question. Why do we have quarrels like that in church? I mean, really. I mean, can you come up with any good ideas on that? Well, I've come up with one. We're sinners. I think that's about the best way to, to, to look at it. We do things that we're not supposed to do. And there's times whenever we look back at the things that we've done and the way that we've treated some people, we're ashamed of ourselves and we wish to God that we had never done it. But we've done it and we can't take it back. We have to forgive other people when they wrong us, but it sure is hard to forgive ourselves when we wrong others. But what we have to do is we have to, uh, we have to realize that we're not conformed to the image of Christ. Not perfect. Not yet. But the good news is God's going to take care of that one of these days. I look forward to it. I don't know about you, but I've stuck my foot in my mouth a few times. Another thing in here that we read about in Acts has to do with the power of the church. It's, and it says, notice what, they, what, Jesus said, what Jesus said right here. He said, but uh, <clears throat> you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so what we see here is they will receive the power. The, these Christians, these followers of Christ, these, these people that were the founding members of this first church in Jerusalem, they were weak. They couldn't do all the things that they wanted to do and they couldn't do the things that Jesus did. But he said, but you're going to receive power. You're going to receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. That is what he was going to do for them. And that was what they needed to do. We need to receive our power from the Holy Spirit. Our power as a church, and this is true for any church, it does not come in the, how many members that we have. It does not come for how many people we have in average attendance on Sundays. It does not have anything to do with any program that we could put on at any church. It does not have to do with any kind of book, and self-help book for preachers to buy. I saw a guy one time and he bought some stuff and some books that just guaranteed practically that if you buy these books and use them, your attendance and membership will double and maybe even triple. That's just a bunch of baloney. You may be able to get people to gather around that, but it's not going to be the power of the Holy Spirit that's doing it. Our, our power does not come from within ourselves. Our power to do anything 
And the kingdom of God comes from the Holy Spirit. Period. There's nothing else we can add to that. That's just the way it is. And for people to have the gall and the foolishness to say, if you buy this program right here, if you buy it, you're going to double your attendance. Whenever we do that, and let me tell you something, whenever a church does something like that and has some crazy idea like that in mind, they are not looking to bring glory to God. They're looking to bring glory to themselves. Remember that. Where does your strength come from? It ain't from you. It is from our God, from the Holy Spirit, moving and working among us. Another thing we have here is the persecution of the church. This started up just as soon as the, uh, as the ascension. That uh, Paul was being brought in and Peter was being brought in. They would be questioned. And one time Peter, and uh, he was brought before the big muckety-mucks. And it really didn't bother him at all. You know, when, I know there were times whenever we could read that they were, you know... Uh, a Christian was beaten, and what did they do? They didn't fight back. They went home rejoicing that someone saw enough of Jesus in them that they would persecute them. That was what they would do. Listen, following Jesus Christ is not always easy if you really, really want to serve Him. If you want to be the type of a person that lives a life that brings glory to Him, you're going to find out that it's not an easy life at times. There are people that are going to hate your ever-loving insides simply because you claim Jesus to be your Savior. That's just the devil working in this world. And whenever that is, happens, but whenever you see that people want to make fun of you, they want to attack you, or whatever it may be, they may want to ruin your business or whatever. You just realize there's the reason they're doing that maybe is because they see too much of Jesus and they're the same people, just like the people that killed him once before and they would kill him again if they had a chance. Another thing is this is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Notice what we see right here and it's kind of an interesting thing. It all has to do with the ascension. We don't talk about that too much. We talk a lot about the cross. We talk some about the empty tomb. But we don't talk too much about what happened after they were given a command by Jesus and He rose up and was gone. And, but it is important. Let me kind of write, tell you what I wrote down because I knew I wouldn't be able to get this right. Number one with this, it said an angel told the disciples whenever Jesus ascended up before their eyes, then they were told this. He said, he's going to come back just like he left. And that's the reason we can say that we know that whenever Jesus comes back, it's not going to be a secret. And, uh, and then Christ's ascension tells us something. His resurrection shows us that he has defeated death. You know, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. When he's saying that, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He alone has the authority and the power to give someone life that doesn't end. He's the resurrection and the life. He did that. Why is he able to do that? Why is he able to make that type of a statement? It's this. When he died on the cross... 
And when he was raised from the dead, he defanged death. He was not able to do anything anymore. He took that off the table. And then he said, and whoever is, a, and this is a paraphrase, but he said, and whoever is alive now will never die. He did that. But there's more to this than that. His ascension does this. It demonstrates that He has ascended to the right hand of the Father and that all power is given to Him. He is Lord. He is Messiah as proclaimed by the prophets. Just like the angel said, just like Jesus said before He ascended, all authority in heaven and on earth is given unto Me. And it's still true. Whenever that last day comes, it's all going to be handed over to the Lord. And, uh, and so anyway, these are just some things that we learn in the book of Acts. I hope that you will take the opportunity to learn a little bit more about it. It's an exciting book, and uh, you might be surprised at what you see in there. I know there was one other thing I was going to say, is that, uh, and maybe I shouldn't be picking on people, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of times preachers, they like to, you know, they like to act like they're in the big time, you know wearing $500 sport coats and having their own jet plane. Well, let me tell you something. Following Jesus, being a missionary, being just a plain old preacher, is not always a glamorous job. And it wasn't a glamorous job for the ones that we read about in Acts. But I think I would r rather have a job where I could hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, than to say, you're looking good down there, Joe. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. Thank you, Lord, for the times that we have let ourselves get in the way of the work that you do. Lord, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you, Lord, though, for the hope that lies before us, a hope that nobody else could ever give us. We thank you for that. We thank you for sending your Son into this world. We thank you that we know that we can have a life that never ends. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.